Chapters nineteen and twenty of Stories from Virgil. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Stories from Virgil by Alfred J. Church. Chapters nineteen and twenty. Chapter nineteen The Arms of Aeneas. Very early the next morning, the old man Evander rose up from his bed and donned his tunic, and bound his Tuscan sandals on his feet and girt his Tegean sword to his side, flinging a panther's hide over his left shoulder. Pallas, his son, also went with him, and two hounds which lay by his chamber followed him, for he would fain have speech with Aeneas, whom indeed he found astir, and Achates with him. Then spake Evander, Great chief of Troy, good will have we, but scanty means, for our folk are few and our bounds narrow. But I will tell thee of a great people and a wealthy, with whom thou mayest make alliance. Nigh to this place is the famous city Agila, which the men of Lydia, settling in this land of Etruria, builded aforetime. Now of this Agila Mezentius was king, who surpassed all men in wickedness, for he would join a living man to a dead corpse, and so leave him to perish miserably. But after a while the citizens rebelled, saying that he should not reign over them, and slew his guards and burnt his palace but on him they laid not hands, for he fled to Prince Turnus. Therefore there is war between Turnus and Agila. Now in this war thou shalt be leader, for as yet, when they would have gone forth to battle, the soothsayers have hindered them, saying, Though your wrath against Mezentius be just, yet must no man of Italy lead this people. But look you for a stranger. And they would fain have had me for their leader, but I am old and feeble and my son Pallas also is akin to them, seeing that he was born of a Sabine mother. But thou art in thy prime, and altogether a stranger in race. Wherefore take this office upon thyself. Pallas also shall go with thee, and learn from thee to bear himself as a warrior. Also I will send with thee two hundred chosen horsemen, and Pallas will give thee as many. And even before he had made an end of speaking, Venus gave them a sign, even thunder in a clear sky, and there was heard a voice as of a Tuscan trumpet, and when they looked to the heavens, lo, there was a flashing of arms. And Aeneas knew the sign and the interpretation thereof, even that he should prosper in that to which he set his hand. Therefore he bade Evander be of good cheer. Then again they did sacrifice and afterwards Aeneas returned to his companions, of whom he chose some, and them the bravest, who should go with him to Agila, and the rest he bade return to Iulus to the camp. But when he was now ready to depart, Evander took him by the hand, saying, O oh, that Jupiter would give me back the years that are gone, when I slew under Prinesti, King Iulus, to whom at his birth his mother Feronia gave three lives. Thrice must he needs be slain and thrice I slew him. Then had I not been parted from thee, my son, nor had the wicked Mezentius slain so many of my people. And now may the gods hear my prayer. If it be their pleasure that Pallas should come back, may I live to see it. But if not, may I die even now while I hold thee in my arms, my son, my one and only joy. And his spirit left the old man, and they carried him into the palace. Then the horsemen rode out from the gates with Pallas in the midst, adorned with mantle and blazoned arms, fair as the morning star, which Venus loves beyond all others in the sky. 
The women stood watching them from the walls while they shouted aloud and galloped across the plain, and after a while they came to a grove, near to which the Etruscans and Tarchon, their leader, had pitched their camp. Now in the meantime Venus had bestirred herself for her son, for while he slept in the palace of Evander, she spake to her husband, even Vulcan, saying, While the Greeks were fighting against Troy, I sought not thy help, for I would not that thou shouldst labour in vain. But now that Aeneas is come to Italy by the command of the gods, I ask thee that thou shouldst make arms and armour for my son. This Aurora asked for Memnon, this Thetis for Achilles, and thou grantest it to them, and now thou seest how the nations join themselves to destroy him. Wherefore I pray thee to help me. And he hearkened to her voice. Therefore, when the morning was come, very early, even as a woman who maketh her living by the distaff riseth and kindleth her fire, and giveth tasks to her maidens, that she may provide for her husband and her children, even so Vulcan rose betimes to his work. Now there is an island, Lepare, nigh unto the shore of Sicily, and there the god had set up his furnace and anvil, and the Cyclopes were at work forging thunderbolts for Jupiter, whereof one remained half wrought. Three parts of hail had they used, and three of rain-cloud, and three of red fire and south wind. And now they were adding to it lightning, and noise, and fear, and wrath, with avenging flames. And elsewhere they wrought a chariot for Mars, and a shirt of mail for Minerva, even the Aegis, with golden scales as of a serpent. And in the midst the gorgon's head, lopped at the nape with rolling eyes. But the god cried, Cease ye your toils, ye must make arms for a hero. Then they all bent them to their toil. Then bronze and gold and iron flowed in streams, and some plied the bellows, and others dipped the hissing mass in water, and a third turned the oar in griping pincers. A helmet they made with nodding crest, that blazed like fire, and a sword, and a cuirass of ruddy bronze and greaves of gold molten many times, and a spear, and a shield whereon was wrought a marvellous story of things to come. For the god had set forth all the story of Rome. There lay the she-wolf in the cave of Mars, suckling the twin babes that feared her not. And she, bending back her neck, licked them with her tongue. And there the men of Rome carried off the Sabine virgins to be their wives, and hard by the battle raged and there, again, the kings made peace together, with offerings and sacrifice. Also there were wrought the chariots that tore asunder Metis of Alba for his treachery, and Porsena bidding the Romans take back their king, besieging the city, but the men of Rome stood in arms against him. Angry and threatening stood the king to see how Cocles broke down the bridge, and Clolia burst her bonds to swim across the river. There Manlius stood to guard the capital, and a goose of silver flapped his wings in arcades of gold, and showed the Gauls at hand. And they, under cover of the darkness, were climbing through the thickets, even to the ridge of the hill. Their hair was wrought in gold, in gold their raiment, and their cloaks were of diverse colours crossed, milk-white their necks and clasped with gold. Two spears had each and an oblong shield. Likewise he wrought the dwellings of the dead, of the just and of the unjust. Here Catalini hung from the rock while the Furies pursued him. There Cato gave the people laws, and all about was the sea wrought in gold, but the waves were blue, and white the foam, 
and therein sported dolphins of silver. But in the midst was wrought a great battle of ships at the Cape of Actium. On the one side Augustus led the men of Italy to battle, standing very high on the stern of the ship. From either temple of his head blazed forth a fire, and Agrippa also led on his array with a naval crown about his head. And on the other side stood Antony, having with him barbarous soldiers arrayed in diverse fashions, and leading to battle Egypt and Persia and the armies of the East, and lo, behind him, a shameful sight, his Egyptian wife. But in another part the battle raged, and all the sea was in a foam with oars and triple beaks. It seemed as though islands were torn from their places, or mountain clashed against mountain. So great was the shock of the ships, and all about flew javelins with burning tow, and the sea was red with blood. In the midst stood Queen Cleopatra, with a timbrel in her hand, and called her armies to the battle. Behind her you might see the snakes by whose bite she should die, and on one side the dog Anubis, with other monstrous shapes of gods, and over against them Neptune and Venus and Minerva. And in the midst Mars was seen to rage, embossed in steel, and the Furies hovered above and discord stalked with garment rent, while high above Apollo stretched his bow, and Egyptian and Indian and Arab fled before him, and in a third place great Caesar rode through Rome in triumph, and the city was full of joy, and the matrons were gathered in the temples, and through the street there passed a long array of nations that he had conquered, from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south. Such was the shield which Vulcan and Venus, when she saw her son that none was with him, for he had wandered apart from his companions, brought the arms and laid them down before him, saying, See the arms that I promised I would give thee. These my husband, the fire-god, hath wrought for thee. With these thou needst shun no enemy, no, not Turnus himself. Right glad was he to see them, and fitted them upon him, and swung the shield upon his shoulder nor knew what mighty fates his children he bare thereon. CHAPTER Twenty, Nisus and Euryalus But Juno, ever seeking occasion against the men of Troy, sent Iris, the messenger of the gods, to Turnus. As he sat in the grove of Pelumnus his father, Iris said, That which none of the gods had dared to promise thee, lo, time itself hath brought. Aeneas hath left his companions and his ship, seeking the city of Evander, yea, and the Tuscans also. Do thou therefore take the occasion, and surprise the camp while he is yet absent." And she spread her wings and mounted to heaven by the arch of the rainbow. And Turnus cried, I know thee, goddess, and follow thy sign. And having first washed his hands, he prayed and vowed his vows to the gods. So the army went forth to the battle. Messippus led the first line, and the sons of Tyrius the rear, and in the midst was Turnus, and the men of Troy saw a great cloud of dust upon the plain. And Sacus cried from the walls, What meaneth this cloud that I see? Two arms, my friends, climb the walls, the enemy is at hand. Then did the men of Troy shut the gates and man the walls, for so had Aeneas commanded them, saying, Fight not whatever befall in battle nor trust yourselves to the plain, but defend your walls. Therefore they shut their gates, and waited till the enemy should come near. And Turnus, on a horse of Thrace, 
rode first, and twenty youths with him. And he cried, Is there a man who will first venture the attack? And he threw his javelin, making a beginning of battle, and his companions shouted aloud. Much they marvelled that the men of Troy kept them within the walls and came not forth to the battle. And Turnus ever regarded the walls, how he might enter therein, even as a wolf prowleth round the fold at midnight, while the lambs within bleat, being safe by their mothers. But he rageth without to hear them, being mad with wrath and hunger, and his tongue is a thirst for blood, even so did Turnus rage round the camp and cast about how he might draw forth the men of Troy into the plain. And at the last he bethought him of the ships, which lay at the camp's side, and called for torches of pine, and the people followed him with a shout, and the smoke rose up to the heavens. Then did a marvellous thing befall. Now in the days when Aeneas was building his ships upon Mount Ida, Sibylle, mother of the gods, spake to Jupiter, saying, Grant, my son, that these ships which Aeneas buildeth of my pine-trees, for these have I given to him freely, may be safe from winds and waves. But Jupiter answered, What is this that thou askest, my mother? Wouldst thou have immortality for mortal ships? Not so. But this I grant, that whichsoever of these shall come safe to the land of Italy shall become nymphs of the sea. And now the day was come. Wherefore there was heard an awful voice, saying, Fear not, men of Troy, nor care to defend your ships. And to the ships, go, henceforth ye are nymphs of the sea. And lo, straightway the cables break, and where the ships had been were the shapes of women, for each ship a woman. Much did the Latins wonder to behold the thing, and Tiber stayed his stream to see it. But Turnus trembled not, crying, This marvel meaneth evil for the men of Troy, their ships abide not our attack nor have they any longer that wherewith they may flee from us. And as for fate, I heed it not. It was the fate of the men of Troy that they should touch the land of Italy. It is my fate that I should destroy the accursed race. They rob me of my wife. That wrong toucheth others besides Menelaus. Surely it had been enough to perish once. But why, then, will they sin again? It had been well that they loathed thereafter all womankind. Or do they think that this rampart shall protect them? Did they not see the walls which Neptune builded settle down in the fire? And now who cometh with me to storm their camp? I need not arms from Vulcan's forge, or a thousand ships. Deeds of darkness and of stealth they need not fear. We will not hide us in a horse of wood. In daylight will we burn their walls. For surely the youth of Italy is not as the youth of Greece, whom Hector kept at bay for ten years. Then he commanded that they should lay siege to the camp. And Messapus he set to watch the gate, and fourteen Rutulian chiefs, with each a hundred youths, kept guard on the walls. So all the night they watched, and feasted, and drank, and made merry. But the men of Troy laboured meanwhile, making strong the gates and the towers of the walls, and Menestheus and Sergestus were instant with command and exhortation, for Aeneas had appointed them to this thing should any need arise, he being absent. Now the keeper of the gate was Nisus, a valiant man of war, and with him Euryalus, the goodliest youth among the men of Troy. And great love was between them, and as they watched, Nisus said, Whether it be a bidding of the gods or prompting of my own heart, I know not. But I have a great desire to do somewhat this night. 
Seest thou how the enemy lie asleep and drunken? Can I not win some honour hence, and carry the tidings of these things to Aeneas? For yonder by the hill lieth the way to the city of Evander. Then Euryalus made answer, Nay, but thou goest not alone, Nisus, nor leavest me. My father, Opheltes, trained me not to such baseness, nor have I so borne myself in thy company, and truly I should count life well lost for such honour. Then said Nisus, I thought not so ill of thee. So may Jupiter bring me back in safety and honour. Yet should some mischance befall, I would that thou shouldst live to buy my body back, or if that may not be, to pay due honour to my spirit. Think too of thy mother, who, alone of all the mothers of Troy, hath for love of thee come to this land of Italy. But Euryalus said, Thou makest idle excuses, for I am steadfastly purposed to go. Let us hasten, therefore. So they woke those who should take their places at the gate, and sought speech of the chiefs. These indeed were holding counsel, and stood leaning on their spears in the midst of the camp. And Nisus said that he had somewhat to say, and that the matter pressed. Then Iulus bade him speak, and he made answer, The enemy lie sleeping and drunken about the walls, and the fires are extinguished. If fortune favour us we will win away to Aeneas, to the city of Evander, and slay many, and take much spoil likewise. The way indeed we know, having learnt it while we hunted in these parts. Then the old man Aletes said, Surely Troy hath not altogether perished, having yet such hearts as yours. And he threw his arms about them, weeping, and Iulus said, Bring back my father, and all shall be well, and I will give you two cups of silver, embossed with figures of men which my father took from the city of Arisba. And if we subdue this land of Italy, thou, Nisus, shall have the horses and the arms of Turnus, and twelve women captives likewise, and twelve men with their arms, and the domain of King Latinus. And thou, Euryalus, who art nearer of age to me, shalt be next to myself in all things. Then Euryalus made answer, One thing I ask thee more. I have a mother, of the lineage of Priam. To her I say not farewell, not being able to endure her tears. Do thou care for her, if she be bereaved of me. And Iulus said, She shall be as my mother to me. Then he gave him his own sword, with its scabbard of ivory, and Menestheus gave to Nisus a lion's skin, and Aletes a helmet, and all went with them to the gates, with many prayers and vows. Also Iulus, being wise beyond his years, sent many messages to his father. Then they crossed the moat, and came upon the enemy as they slept, Nisus being before, and Euryalus keeping watch, lest any should assail them from behind. And first Nisus slew Ramnes, as he slept, and augur he was, whom Turnus most trusted, yet he knew not his own doom. Next he slew the three servants, and the armour-bearer, and the charioteer of Remus, and after Remus himself cutting off his head. Others also he slew, and among them Serenus, a fair youth, who had been foremost in his sport that night. It had been well for him had he prolonged it even unto dawn. Many also did Euryalus slay, all of them in their sleep save Rhetus only, who being awake would fain have hidden himself behind a great jar, but could not. 
but when he would have assailed Mesippus and his comrades, Nisus, seeing that he was mastered by the love of slaughter, cried aloud, Cease! The day approacheth. It is enough that we have made us a way through the enemy. Much spoil did they leave behind them, but Euryalus took a sword-belt with knobs of gold from Romnes. Sidicus gave it to Remulus of Tiber, and he to his grandson, from whom Romnes had won it in war, and put on his head the helmet of Mesippus, so they departed from the camp. But it so chanced that three hundred horsemen, with Volsens their leader, were riding to the camp from the city, and as they came nigh one of them espied, in the light of the moon, the helmet which Euryalus, being but a youth and unwary, had put on him. And Volsens cried, Who are ye? Whither do ye go? But they answered nothing, making haste to fly. Then Volsens commanded that they should keep the wood on every side. Very thick it was with dark ilex trees and brambles, and Euryalus, indeed, being laden with his spoil and fearful, wandered from the way, but Nisus got himself clear. But when he came to the stalls where they kept the cattle of King Latinus, he knew himself to be alone, and looked round for his companion, but saw him not. Then returning, he searched through the wood, till he heard the sound of horsemen approaching, and lo, Euryalus was in the midst, seeking to get free, but could not. Forthwith, having first prayed to Diana that she would help him, if perchance he might scatter this company, he cast his spear. It pierced the back of Sulmo, and passed even through his heart, and while they all looked, lo, another spear, and it pierced the head of Tagus from temple to temple. Very wroth was Volsens to see such slaughter, and know not how it befell. And he cried, Thou at least shalt suffer for these deeds, and flew upon Euryalus. This could not Nisus endure to see, but rushed from his hiding-place, and cried, Lo, I am the man who wrought this slaughter. Turn your swords against me. He did not, nay, he could not do such deeds. He did but follow his friend. But not the less did the sword of Volsens pierce the side of Euryalus, and the blood gushed out over his fair body, and his head drooped, even as a flower which the ploughshare cuts in the field, or a poppy whose stalk is broken. Then rushed Nisus into the midst, thinking only how he might slay Volsens. Nor could the enemy slay him, but that he thrust his sword into his mouth, and slew him, and afterwards, being pierced with many wounds, he fell dead upon the body of his friend. But when the horsemen were come to the camp, they found the slaughter that had been done, and when the day dawned, they set the battle in array against the men of Troy, and the heads of Nisus and Euryalus they fixed upon poles, and showed them. But when the report of these things came to the ears of the mother of Euryalus, she threw down her distaff, and hasted through the camp, and coming to the wall she cried, Is it thus I see thee, my son? Why was it not granted to me to bid thee farewell? and now I may not close thine eyes, or wrap thee in the garments which I have made, solacing my cares with the labours of the loom. Slay me with your spears, ye Latins, or thou, great Jupiter, smite me with thy thunder, since I may not rid me otherwise of this hateful life. But when with her wailing she touched the hearts of the men so that they forgot their valour, Ilionius and Iulus commanded Ideas and Actor that they should lay hands upon her, and carry her to her dwelling. End of chapters 19 and 20 Recording by Bill Borst